Welcome to episode five of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap as in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock bands, Southern resident Killer Whales and Sender's Dream and co-host of the First Team All Nonsense podcast. And I am Josh Dye, president and founder of the Convene Training and Resilience Community. And we are excited to welcome you to the only podcast in the world to focus specifically on the world-class Twin Cities craft beer scene and the stay-after-class Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> Great. And we are going to waste no time and get right into the beer that we are uh, focusing on this episode. What is it, Josh? Dan, let me take you back in time for a, mi- a moment to the time that the Minnesota Timberwolves traded Andrew Wiggins for D'Angelo Russell. Do you remember where we celebrated that trade? Oh, Josh, we hooked up at Prize Brewing uh, on the Mississippi Riverfront, just north of North Loop. Yeah, <laughs> everyone in that place was wondering why we were toasting and smiling, <laughs> laughing, and yeah. Hugs and <laughs> frivolity of getting Andrew Wiggins out of town, which we are still thrilled at, mind you. Uh, but yes, let's before we dig into Andrew Wiggins and the Minnesota Timberwolves, let's talk a little bit about Prize Brewing, as Dan mentioned, located along the beautiful Mississippi River at 1401 West River Road, north in Minneapolis. Things you can enjoy at Prize are uh, a huge patio, an obscene amount of bike parking. They've got a fun feather bowling game, which Dan has never beaten me at in a series anyway. You remember the uh, Minnesota versus uh, Sacramento game? Was it two years ago or was it last year? Up last year, up by seventeen with three minutes left. We had a similar feather bowling experience where I think I was maybe up eighteen to zero going up to twenty one, and I was actually feeling sad. Like I don't want to win by this much. I don't want you know like. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're pretty good at you know darts and a lot of these parlor games are like this is you know i wanted to win but i didn't want to win this bad and then you came back and won <laughs> yeah you are the embodiment of the minnesota timberwolves dan uh, and you were buddy healed <laughs> but buddy for those who are wondering feather what feather bowling is so you've got essentially this lane that has fake grass or turf on it and the sides are banked and you get this wood wheel set of wood wheels that you roll and there's a feather on each end and you try to get your wood wheel to be as close to the feather as possible. Super fun game to play at prize. And I know this sounds a little bit silly, Dan, but we have remarked on how we believe prize has the best bathroom setup of any restaurant or brewery where rather than it being a, a men's restroom or a women's restroom or an all gender restroom or something, but they just have a, Big, long uh, place to wash your hands and then individual stalls with doors that go floor to ceiling, a completely private uh, experience, just a really thoughtful uh, layout to the tap room as well. Yeah. When you explain it like that, it doesn't sound that unique. But when you actually use the bathroom, it like it feels very unique. It's also a very tastefully done, well-designed bathroom. (laughs) But you're right. It's it. Yeah, it feels kind of singular. Yeah, and and safe. And anyway, enough about the bathrooms, Dan. Let's talk a little bit about the beers. Which beer are you going to feature today? So I'm drinking uh, the classic Miraculum. Uh, it, you know, there's it's an ongoing sort of bit about whether you call them flagships or not. Prize refers to this as a signature beer, but often there will be a beer that a brewery has where they, it's the Miraculum, and then they might have some varieties so they have maybe a a double this is an ipa maybe it's a double of that or it's a hazy version of that a lot of breweries will do that and miraculum is kind of the starting point for prize um i happen to be drinking this one out of the can and i gotta say it we're both in love with prize brewing what they have to offer and they do a lot of interesting styles i'm actually finding again my love for this particular beer which is it's it's kind of the best of what you think of a modern IPA bean, but this one happens to be particularly sort of bready and malty. Um, and I'm getting a lot of that. That's a taste I, I come to appreciate when that sort of taste survives the canning process and you bring mm. it home. And I'm, I'm getting that experience. 
Another thing I wanted to mention, I think this is kind of cool. We talked about the Indeed Brewing, their cool artwork on their cans last time. Get on the old reading glasses. But these cans, uh, the way Prize does their cans are really cool. Uh, I, I love it when there's a little description of the beer. And so they have it here. So unique combination of citrus hop flowers and a smooth malty finish. The perfect balance between hoppy West Coast and malty East Coast beers. So the description is always nice. But then they have their little like a coffee will have bitter or you know dark on the other end and they'll have kind of where it's at on the spectrum this has hoppy and malty it has a spectrum with a little dot there to show you where it's at on the continuum and then if you're familiar with visualization techniques they have what's called a radar graph which is where rather than having four quadrants you have essentially a circle or a big radar view with different points along the edge if you see that, Josh, in the can yeah. and anyone else, you can go buy yourself a can and see this. And uh, it's got all these different characteristics. So they have floral, citrus, earthy, biscuit, sweet, and resinous. And then you have varying amounts of a shaded area is in that portion of the pie according to how – everyone's seen this type of graph. And it's cool to see how that – that shows itself for, for this particular variety. It's heavy on heavier on the floral and citrus and also on the sweet and the biscuit, particularly high in the biscuit, which would be that malty flavor I'm getting and not so high on the resinous and earthy, but it, it's fun. I also got the, uh, I believe it's a blood orange miraculum. Mm -hmm. Same trip to the store uh, is a, it's a little bit more of a hazy style infused with blood orange, not nearly as hoppy and uh, on the front end. And I gotta say in this particular time of buying beer, I am enjoying the classic miraculum is just returning to an old favorite. It's a wonderful beer. There are very few beers where I remember ever having my first taste of the beer. And the miraculum is one of those experiences back when my wife and I were just dating we made our way to the Red Stag Supper Club one evening and sat on like these tables along their, their sidewalk and just had a beer. And I had never had it before. And I ordered and I was like, oh, my gosh, I think this might be the best beer I've ever tasted at the time and was just blown away. And then another beer I'd like to feature of theirs. I'll read off some from their uh, list right now. They've got a winning cobbler, a blueberry cobbler ale, the Royal Raspberry Sour, Sour Ale, a London ESB, a great hazy, the Mass Haze Turia, a tropical smoothie IPA, uh, a Bohemian Blonde, and more. But I've always enjoyed their Dublin Dry Stout. It's an Irish mm -hmm. stout that's a complex blend of six different malts and oats crafted to create a uh, prize's interpretation of a dry Irish stout. So prize, get there, get their beer, enjoy it. Uh, and when the tap room, well, they are, I guess, probably open with limited seating now with the governor's order, but Find a way to get to prize and enjoy their beer, enjoy their feather bowling, their tap room atmosphere, and as we said, their bathrooms <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and their kitchen. So they they actually have a, a kitchen at prize that it used to be, I believe, a, a sort of resident kitchen. Uh, an outside yeah. vendor would come in and and cook there. They ended up, I believe, just incorporating it, and so they have a permanent. Seems pretty permanent the the variety of food that they've had available from there. Um, sort of homemade foodie pizzas and and charcuterie type trays and stuff like that. So that's a fun a fun addition to your time at Prize. And I will say too, one of their seating areas, if you have like a larger group, say oh like 12 to 14 people. Which we do not advise in the current environment. Co correct. Yeah. If you're watching this from a, a non-pandemic future there's a portion of their tap room that is open seating, but works like if you can get it and snag it for a larger group, it'd be great for like a fantasy football draft or we did a larger family gathering there back in the day. And it's like slightly private, but um, also a great option for great for groups, great for individuals, great for, hey, everybody. But Daniel, before we get into Timberwolves specific talk, you got some things you want to get off your chest. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm just going to put this out there and a lot of the, the vibe, which sort of propels the talking points that we have and what we're gathering to the mood comes from Twitter experiences. That's where a lot of the Timberwolves community is locally. The people that are really passionate about the, the fan base. And 
one of our ongoing appeals. We're just going to add this to the list. We just need to stop it with the Andrew Wiggins bullshit. <laughs> so it, one thing that I've noticed over time, and this is prior actually to the Andrew Wiggins trade, is that the amount of delusion in, in the Golden State fan base is matched only perhaps by the LA Laker fan base in terms of how they view their team and their relative importance and the, the team culture and everything else. So this is between our insecurities that we have rightfully so here locally with our team and their delusion out there. The it's an explosive combination when it gets to social media and you start getting these articles from the Golden State side of things that talk about the, the complete heist that was the Andrew Wiggins pilfering from the from the Timberwolves. And I, I guess and Dan, it, before is, you yeah. before you keep going, you know, you talk about the uh, that article that was how you know that NBC. I think it was like an NBC affiliate out there talking about the heist of the Wiggins D'Angelo Russell trade. Remember the last podcast episode, I said, everything is marketing and that people are just like taunting you to click on their thing and comment. That was like example number one of (laughs) that. It got a lot of shares, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That it's like, it was so ridiculous. It compelled commentary. It compelled people to, to respond, but anyway, keep going, Dan. Why should we stop it with this Andrew Wiggins nonsense? Well, and this is uh, that that's also a, is encompassed in this. It's just not feeding the beast. So it, let's say that, for the sake of argument, that Andrew Wiggins is a superior basketball player to D'Angelo Russell, which I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Um, still, the, the the comparison is useless. Or, or th- like, what are people that are making that argument? suggesting would you like Andrew Wiggins back on this basketball team because how did that work for us and I think it's it, the way I think of it it's almost like a we had a relationship with Andrew Wiggins in which intentionally or not we were gaslit for a period of six years traumatized and so now he's in this new relationship and so we're going to sit there and like talk about whether this this person that visited all these terrible experiences on us for this number of years, you know, we're going to compare to this, this new person that we have this relationship with is it's just futile at the very best. Um, and at the worst, you start like buying into it because you're always able to see these flaws and get more frustrated and in, in the, in the more immediate immediacy of your experience. But I will just say this and just is in terms of how, I consume basketball and what I like. And, and Dane, uh, not Dane, uh, Britt Moore, Britt Moore, thank you. <laughs> Britt Robinson talked about this a little bit. It's a topic that I wanted to get into, and he probably articulated it a little better than I did in their last podcast. But for me, watching basketball is so much, it, it's, it is, it's about, enjoyment so this whole and you were going to get into maybe this whole thing about you know what's more important rings or or uh consistent consistently decent team but there are just things about the aesthetic of d'angelo russell's game that i really enjoy Mm. you would never catch andrew wiggins hitting a big shot and doing the injecting your veins with the ice water move you know the swagger the 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 tight Andrew Wiggins hit some big shots. Yeah. But it was it was like you're really happy the shot happened at the moment, but there wasn't sort of a package of psychology around it of swagger and just fun. And I feel like D'Angelo Russell brings fun in his wake. It's it's a three and eight team and wildly disappointing from what we were hoping at the start of the year. But even right now, when things click in short little sporadic moments on the court, it is a fun team. It's a fun team that's underperforming and they're still trying to figure out anything from pecking order to synergies and stuff like that. But these are guys that are almost to a person really easy to root for when things are going well. And I, I'm super happy D'Angelo Russell is on our team. And remember, it's still, what, four games that he has played? 
that he's had a chance to develop chemistry and develop how this is going to work with cat over the long term. Right. And so like, let's just be happy. We got this, this guy that can hit like big shots. A guy is like, it, it, he's a guy that could possibly unveil big balls dance. Like he's, <laughs> he's, he might hit those shots and he might do the dance and like that. <laughs> and the entertainment value connected to his game in addition to his skills is better. And I'll put a bow on this, Dan, that, you know, John Meyer on Twitter had pointed out that the numbers don't support that Andrew Wiggins is having a better, any better of a season than his below average seasons with the Minnesota Timberwolves as well. So the numbers do not pass muster on Andrew Wiggins's performance and if Steph Curry wasn't playing at an MVP or near MVP level that Golden State Warriors team would be even more garbage than it already is. So yeah, there was there were some stats cited about the the person's field goal percentage that Andrew Wiggins was guarding and how he's one of the league leaders. My contention was that Andrew Wiggins is so far away from the guy he's supposed to be guarding that they're crediting in the numbers to the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's playing great on ball defense it's like yeah no, but that's not his guy <laughs> he's just closer to that guy yeah he's now being double teamed <laughs> so dan you want to talk a little bit about how your family consumes basketball so you've got a wife and two teenage daughters uh tell us how your family consumes basketball so hopefully I won't spend too much time doing this, but um, I, I made a comment this, this morning about how uh, my wife and I listened to the most recent uh, Dane Moore podcast and uh, she listened to like the whole thing, hour and a half. And I have trouble getting her to sit through the whole, a whole game, but she's really intrigued about, you know, what they're saying about, you know, how players work together and what to personality expect. dynamics and yeah. how they portray themselves in the media and social media and, and dealing, I think it's, with, dealing with grief. They touched on a, a lot in that podcast. They yeah. did. And it's, but it's, it, it's, it's always really good. And, and it is just, there's so much nuance and so many layers of things going on. And my younger daughter Rose is also like, if you show her any one of probably the top 25 players in the NBA, she knows who they are. Mm. She might know who they play for. And she like thinks it's fun when they come up in commercials or like she hears about some funny drama going on. She's into that. Can't get her to watch a game, but this is just how she's, how she consumes it. And it's like, I'll take what I can get. So for either one, either situation, I want to encourage it. But I also think about how there's an entire generation now that, and you think about the way the all-star game turns out how it does, but the way that basketball is consumed by a large segment of the population, just, oh, they're watching the, the ESPN, whatever the highlights or the top Yeah, they're catching whatever. their highlights on Instagram or... Yeah, and uh, we're not here to say that yeah. anyone is a bad basketball fan. You know, maybe if they have a bad basketball take about a player's value based on what they're seeing. In, how like, the dare they, Dan? How <laughs> dare they have a bad take? <laughs> it's hard not to get a little frustrated when there's an objectively bad take, but this yeah. is maybe another appeal that like we all have, you know, people like what they like. They're going to consume it in different ways. And if people are getting some enjoyment, then great. And I would say the same thing. It's like, if I, if you don't agree with me that, D'Angelo that you want D'Angelo Russell on this team or you don't enjoy watching him play you know don't be mad at me just disagree a league pass subscription so you can get all the Warriors basketball that you want <laughs> exactly. sign up for at and TV now they threw in an, a year's free of uh, mm. not sponsored but a, a year's free of league pass that's what we switched from this is actually maybe something useful for people to know I don't know if at and yeah. TV now is still offering it but Dan and I were sharing a YouTube TV uh, subscription. And then they lost Fox Sports North. We looked for an alternative. And ultimately we found AT&T TV now, which is essentially the same price as YouTube TV is. And they threw in a year's free of NBA League Pass. So uh, pretty awesome there. Dan, are you ready to talk some Timberwolves? I'm ready. All right. So Britt Robson, during his rant on the Dane Moore's podcast about Brooklyn's trade for Harden, asked, would you trade six years of mediocrity for one 
ring. So kind of placing this argument around, do you want somebody who's going to sustain long-term excellence or competence, or do you just want to try to go for the ring right now? Dan, as a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, would you trade six years of mediocrity for one ring? Josh, I would trade six years of mediocrity for one 500 season. (laughs) (laughs) So you look at a a statement like this and maybe there's an, you know, you get to the point where there's actually a a formula, but this is sort of a segue off we were talking about before. What do you get out of basketball that makes you enjoy it? And I think for some people that are really hard line on the, you know, the ring, you want the ring. Everything is about anything less than the ring is a failure. And get the ring at all costs. And sort of that, that James Harden is the perfect bellwether for this. And not that he was going to, he's going to guarantee anyone a ring as has been evident from his past, but there is like this type of angry derision of anyone that would not want their team to trade for James Harden. It's like, you know, what do you not like about winning or you're a joke with, you know, it's like, maybe I don't like watching him play. Maybe I don't like the culture that he brings to a team. And this is coming back to like, what do you get? What do you watch basketball for? Boy, I would love to see a team that was competitive and fun year in and year out. Mm -hmm. And so I guess six years of mediocrity for one ring, like what's the alternative? Because it's probably going to be six years of mediocrity anyway. But if you're saying the alternative, the alternative is six years of first round playoffs to conference finals and no ring. I would take that in a heartbeat. Of course, the second you know that you're guaranteed not a ring, that takes some fun out of it. So it's kind of a weird proposition to begin with. But I think if the question is, would you have more net enjoyment in your life from winning a ring? And the way this is put out, it's winning a ring. Clearly, you brought in a bunch of stars that were there for one year, and then it just blew up because then you get six years of mediocrity. That w- That's a lot of not fun. And if I had a year where we were competitive game in, game out, went to the playoffs for six years, it, it's not even close. I want to watch lots of nights of fun basketball. Dan, you and I, you and I hugged each other after the Wolves beat <laughs> the Nuggets to get the eighth seed in the playoffs a couple of years ago. <laughs> so imagine how we would feel if the Minnesota Timberwolves won a ring. So I um you know, there's, I, I absolutely trade uh, six years of mediocrity for one ring. I would, I would be, I would love to have six years of mediocrity, even with the Minnesota Timberwolves, as opposed to just bad, right? So, like, can I, can I please? Yes, if that's our scenario, I'll take the ring and six years of basketball. That's better than what we've witnessed. Uh, for uh, the greater part of fifteen years, yes. I was assuming the mediocrity was irrelevance. I was assuming that was one in the yeah. same. So let's say that what we're doing is mediocrity, but okay. All, All right. Because right. I think if you get the one ring, you're presuming there is not, clearly there's not been a uh, or it sounds to me like there's not a culture that has been built up. You've not had time to really get involved in players. Mm-hmm. So like the, the Brooklyn, the perfect example, they're not going to I here. I'm putting it down there now. They're not going to win a championship this year, but yeah, if we can return to this, Josh is writing it down. Uh, okay. I've got a list of podcast predictions, Dan. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, but this year, so like these guys come in, they win a championship, and then next year they're gone. Are you s- truly happy and fulfilled? And in this, maybe this is just there's two kinds of people in the world. You are, or you're not. To me, it's like these are these people that don't care about the community they don't care about the culture where the organization is going the future of the organization you know, like we used to have a guy kg who's like he's soda you know mm-hmm. he's like guy d'angelo russell recently saying like why why can't i come here and put down roots why can't we do something here to find out that a player has something invested in the community and they can, it means a lot actually i and I, I think that it would detract from some of the thrill I would get from the victory knowing that it's just like, Oh, great. I brought in a hired gun to come in and shoot everyone dead for a year and they're gone. And so, and, and, and maybe you're taking that into account and coming to the same conclusion. 
Yeah, it's I mean, I, you know, the, de- the devil's always in the details, but if we were just going to go with the simplicity of the concept <laughs> of 60 years of mediocrity for one ring, I say yes. And your final answer on that is you said you'd do it for a five, one 500 season. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> but in all honesty, no, I would, uh, I would, um, I would not take the ring. Oh, you would not take the ring. Okay. Oh, that's been everything I've been saying, Josh, has been. I, I, yeah, but I just like, I wanted to simplify it to the, uh, to the, bear concept and yeah okay so dan says no he will not take the ring i say yes you take the ring hey if you follow timberwolves tip to tap on twitter the handle dan is is um at tip and then t-o tap yeah at tip t-o tap hey you tell us would you trade six years of mediocrity for for one ring we'd love to to hear your thoughts dan talker number two at the beginning of the season and in the last podcast episode I said that this team, given all of the uncertainty, the shortened preseason, the shortened training camp, players who hadn't played together, that they're going to need 20 to 25 games and that to actually gel, discover who they are, come together as a unit, communicate well on defense and kind of know where people are at without having to see them there kind of thing to really like, now we know who this team is. And then with Cat's injury, I was like, ah, oh, we're not just starting over. We're like going back. But I'm going to hold now to say like this team needs 25 games for that, and you've had gentle, gentle pushback on that. We're 11 games into the season now. Are you closer to buying into my concept, or do you still push back on that? I, I think you're seeming more and more uh, far-thinking as this goes on, and I think it's maybe for this reason. In theory, it shouldn't but maybe what i wasn't taking into account is if you're not gelling in the first five or six games you start experimenting with lineups and you start pulling out guys so then you're getting less of a time to develop that synergy it wasn't like they were going to take the first 10 games and keep running the exact same lineup out there and continue failing and saying well it's going to take us 25 games (laughs) it's like no they're going to start pulling this guy out this guy's going to get buried in the rotation and we started the season with Jake Lehman as a starter, granted Wancha was slow coming in, but uh, he and he's not even he's not seen the floor. Literally out of the rotation now, and so I think given that we can't even find a lineup we're able or willing to run with for three games in a row, I, I think the twenty-five games is seeming pretty reasonable. I had originally thought just in terms of like getting into a season and, and, and what do you know, if you, if you, with the same set of guys on the court, if you didn't know in 20 or 25 games, there's something else going wrong. But again, I didn't take into account that the, the number of different lineups that this roster and, and the funny thing is they're, they're turning over this roster, like crazy. Like how many new line lineups did you see in the Tibbs era <laughs> during the course? Oh, of the year? Yeah. <laughs> One. Yeah. And, and here he's not shuffling this lineup nearly fast enough for a very impatient Wolves base that does not have the 20 to 25 game. Uh, view of this <laughs> scenario so i assume you're still like right on with with your original thoughts on this yes and i should provide a, even more context in i would call it the remaining sane as a fan uh context because i don't like losing i don't like three and eight records but basically it's like you know this is i'm giving this team a pass until game 25 i'm happy to like let them figure out who they are until that and i was hoping we'd have maybe more wins as a part of it or you know if cat never gets injured maybe we're able to be okay but that like i'm giving us a pass until that point and then at that point you might see me a little more angry like other fans are angry but i was like man this is a team that is a total unknown at the beginning of the season and basketball is one of those sports where, and I've learned this a lot from you that it's just so much about like, you can't be thinking, you got to be reacting. And that is a related to your own. You mean by watching me play. (laughs) (laughs) So what you do out there, man, it's just instinctual. So (laughs) you can't plan that out. You can't plan out moves like that. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, but that, 
that applies to an individual player's skill set that they're not thinking about what they're going to do. It's just become muscle memory at this point. But also having that with your teammates and the coaches really knowing what they have in their players and none of that existed. And so, but I think 25 games is a reasonable set, especially in a shortened season for you all to juggle your lineups and to figure it out and learn how to play together. And if by that time you're still not communicating well, you're still not hitting your rotations, you're still not where you need to be. And, and, and with the coaching staff, if you're still not, uh, if you aren't, you don't have the sense of like, when is this game falling apart and I need to bring in D load two minutes earlier than I did to kind of steady the ship or whatever, then then I'm going to start criticizing him pretty hard. I think and you the, do not want to be criticized by Josh <laughs> I think the the gentle pushback I would give on on your approach right now, though, is you tend to be. It sounds like you're speaking as though this is like the 25 games is a light switch as opposed to a continuum. And so I think the people yeah. that would argue would say, "I'm fine with it taking 25 games to get to that point, but we're not seeing the growth." And I think you could say that with some of the, the careers of some of the Timberwolves we, we've seen yeah. come in and, and the idea that like, you shouldn't have that, that Washington game shouldn't follow, you know, or I should say the Portland game shouldn't have followed those two Denver games or, you know, what, what are we even doing if we, if you play your 11th game and you're making the same or worse mistakes than you made and like your third game. And yeah, there's not like a build up to like, right. So that's where I think to, like, by 25 is. games, we've kind of built something. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to be that black or white about it. Um, I think you're encompassing what I'm, you know, intending more so is that, yeah, by game 25, you kind of have it figured out and hopefully you'd see flashes, flashes of that. But I do think with a team that has no experience together, it is going to be more of that roller coaster ride until you get that more smooth thing. Because as a Timberwolves fan right now, we do ha- we have no freaking idea what we're going to see on the court on any given night in terms of quality of play. And yeah, you know, and just I just want more minutes. There's trash in this player. Like it's it is a total roller coaster ride. But to me, that's what I was expecting. You know, for this first, uh, you know, uh, you know third what I, want? I, I, I just I want more minutes, D'Lo and Cat on the court. Like I just mm-hmm. want to, not not that they need to play more minutes per game, but I just want them to log minutes, log games. So like these are guys that they do, they they speak the same language. I feel like I I think that is going to matter. These guys genuinely like mm-hmm. each other. This is going to result in good communication on the court. <laughs> Four games they have played together. They did not play together last season and fail. This is four games they played together with a lot of moving pieces around him. And I just want to see them log, you know, he's like, how many games did Andrew Wiggins get to try to develop a synergy with Cat? Let's like, let's get, especially now that we got this new version of Cat that is like, communicating and leading mm-hmm. and defending and stuff. So uh, let's get moving on our talkers or we'll never get through them. Yeah, no problem. So number three, the wolves will get eaten alive by teams with size. This is really evident now, even with a healthy Akogi, there's just not enough size in this lineup to really hang with teams that have it, especially if their small ball concept doesn't make shots. You got to be draining the threes and getting back and leveraging your speed and pace. And if you don't make your shots, leverage speed and pace, you're going to get absolutely demolished by a bulk of these teams. And so there's been some buzz recently, Dan, around. Uh, oh, should the Wolves trade for PJ Tucker? Dan furiously Googling PJ Tucker, basketballreference.com. Yeah. And the, uh, so PJ Tucker, Dan, how old do you think PJ Tucker is without cheating Uh, with basketball reference? I haven't seen the age yet, but it's 35 or 36. You are always so good at this. He's 35 years old. Right. And guess PJ Huckers, PJ Tucker's height. Um, I'm again, I'm not looking. I just closed the tab and I didn't see, um, I'm guessing he's six, six. He's 6'5". Okay. 
Now, he's a small forward, a power forward. Uh, like, he's a versatile player, but he's old, and he is short for the power forward position. And, and I feel he's like... he's nowhere near, near as good as he was even two years ago. Exactly. And when you look at uh, the PER of... Uh, power forwards in the PER, the player efficiency ranking, John Hollinger's metric of how well a player, how often a player does good things on the court. We'll get to uh, Jared Vanderbilt in a minute, but since we are talking about power forwards, uh, there are 50 players listed on that right now, Dan. And who do you think is ranked number 10 in player efficiency ranking among power forwards in the NBA this season through 11 games. Uh, probably Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah. And who's ranked number 49? <laughs> I'm guessing that that's PJ Tucker. We didn't plan this. Thing, but yeah, you sort of. Yeah. It is. That's correct, Dan. So uh, if we pursue PJ Tucker, it is out of a familiarity bias from our front office, meaning that we have a familiarity bias where we just kind of like prefer things that we're familiar with that we know well that are not necessarily better for the team. So I guess I'd say all that, Dan, to say that I do not want us to trade for P.J. Tucker. He is not going to be the solution. Who do, it Obviously, it all depends on what do we give up for him. Is it like a second-round pick next year or something? Sure, whatever. But I, 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 P.J. Tucker, I don't believe will solve our problems. Now, before I turn it over to you to talk about the power forward position here, is I always like to make statements or predictions where I'm happy if I'm wrong. Like I don't want to trade for PJ Tucker. I don't think he'll make the team better, but if they do and he's great, that'll make me happy. Right. But I'm here to say, I don't want it too small, too old, too ineffective. Uh, great career. Wonderful, wonderful player. Throughout I'll, I'll his just career. add on to that. He I mean, it right now, Dan. Yeah. I'm not a big PER guy, but mm. I mean, his, you know, if you're into BPM, clear negative you know he's no longer a good offensive player um yeah it's i I, this part of that whole and it's so much of what we get again comes from the dynamic of twitter and kind of where momentum gets going and stuff but there's a a sort of mob mentality that's how many people are like desolate you if they don't if rosas doesn't trade for doesn't make a huge play for pj tucker he's an idiot and should be fired that actually haven't seen PJ Tucker play for yeah. <laughs> three years. They're saying it because they've seen other people say it. And then you sort of start convincing yourself or whatever. He just has not been that effective for Houston the last couple of years. Um, and looking for a big contract. So, but I know we don't need to talk anymore about PJ Tucker, but I'm definitely not for that trade. Now, another thing where we got into some big sort of group momentum thing in the Twitter community was on Rondé Hollis Jefferson. And I will say that, you know, if you had a, if you are starting to go with the idea that maybe you can have some effectiveness with a guy that's defensively oriented, but kind of limited in terms of court spacing, and that is going to work because maybe Vanderbilt is proving that he can be effective on the court, even though you're, got this style of play where you're trying to work with spacing, but maybe a rim runner like that works. Um, you know, maybe it does make sense. You do bring back Rondé Hellas Jefferson. I will say again, nobody else has brought him in. It's not like he's this amazing, amazingly valued asset. For some reason, nobody else is valuing him enough to bring him in, but maybe he does fit and maybe it would be time you could bring in someone like that. Um, I just don't know if they're going to pivot that hard. So they go like our one and our two are both going to be guys that are offensively limited, but are, are you asking me where I would go with power forward? Yeah. What do you do? Cause it's well, like, you know, where I've been a- wanting to make a play for, I've been saying this since the off season, I'm all in on Aaron Gordon. Yeah. And maybe I mean, you have some other salary from some guys that here's the thing that, that I don't know where else this will fit in, 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 our talk today. So I'll just throw it out there and we don't need to just spend time on it, but you know, who went from thinking in the preseason, like we got all these guys, like all these guys that can shoot or, you know, it's like, well, actually only three guys can shoot and only three guys can defend. Like what the heck is going on? And suddenly everybody seems rather expendable. Don't they? We're talking about this like deeper bench and suddenly things shifted. Like 
wow, Wancho and Lake being uh, Wancho and Jake being ineffective on offense really changes the calculus. And wow, Culver's confidence being in the mm. toilet really changes the calculus. And wow, I, this is the thing where you can you can only blame. <laughs> People are so down on Ryan Saunders. Like he didn't know that Jake Lehman and Wancho Ernan Gomez and Ricky Rubio were all going to be terrible. He didn't know that. He had to sort of plan as though <laughs> two or th- maybe all three of them would be relatively speaking the best versions of themselves. They've all been the absolute worst versions of themselves. That's hard to control. It's hard to do anything with your roster when that happens. Um but suddenly a lot of people are seeming expendable. And some of those, I mean, this is maybe the, the wisdom of Rosas is now you have guys that like you have some salary in there. So if someone's willing to, to take it up, maybe, you know, nobody's going to pick up Wancho since he's on multiple years now, but it's not an insane contract. And maybe that whole thing, the way people will believe that Wiggins gets in a new environment and does great. Maybe someone's willing to pick up a player from Minnesota. That's not, doing so great because they assume that Minnesota ruins guys and they can unlock them in any other environment. So it's sort of the Minnesota's little cheat code on trade. You're like, Hey, you know, he's a great player. We just can't do anything with him because we're Minnesota, but you'd love to pay him $7 million. You'd love Jerry Culver for 6 million or I don't know what he's, maybe he's like 9 million or something, but no, he's not. I don't know. I don't know what a six, six, overall pick goes at but anyway um i i'd be for still i I, we also sort of talk about this roster as though it's set unless you trade for for pj tucker but there's a lot of things that could happen a lot of trades that could happen and of course they're constantly working it and i don't think any of us should have believed that they thought that this roster was fully done and fully formed as of the start of the year so if the power forward position is painfully evidently needing addressed, they're probably talking a lot about it and looking at doing something trade-wise, and we don't have any idea what that is. Yeah, you know, one of your predictions that's aging really well right now, or not a prediction, a statement of something you would do, is I rewind back to November 16th of this of 2020, Dan, and you said that you would trade Jarrett Culver in the 17 pick for Aaron Gordon. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just kind of keep that out there. Ready to head to the next, uh, the next talker, Dan. Yep. And let's call this our final talking point today for the podcast. I'm going to make a case to give a starting position and or heavy minutes, however many he can stay on the floor, given foul trouble to Vanderbilt. And here's why, you know, he's, showing the effort, the preparation, the intensity. He is playing his butt off given his talent and skill set. Positive things seem to happen related to him, and our team seems to need a player like that more often on the floor. And I know you're not a huge fan of player efficiency rating, but through nine games, he's in reasonably good company. Uh, Best power forward ranking rating on our team, and – I I think if you were to roll out a lineup that has Cat, D'Lo, Beasley, Vanderbilt, and pick your fifth guy in the lineup that you want, whether that's Edwards or a Kogi or whatever, I'd go with Edwards because I think he just needs I'd go to with play a <laughs> You go with Kogi, okay. So either way, um, that to me, in the meantime, until the organization does something larger, we got, I don't care if Vanderbilt fouls out. We got to give him as many minutes as possible and put him out there with the starting five and getting those kind of minutes. Your thoughts. I think he would have gotten significantly more minutes in the last game. Had he not picked up those three fouls. I'll note that. Um, Yeah, I'm in, I'm in agreement. In fact, I think, and I, I'm one (laughs) to be very leery of speaking as though I know things for a certainty that the coach does not i will say that again and again and i it always gives me a weird feeling when i see people talk about like what does ryan think he's doing it's like well you know he has more information than you do so yeah uh, but that said i 
where it has seemed that the philosophy philosophy of the team has been very reluctant to go to a, someone at the power forward position that is not a floor spacer. I have always been of the belief that even if you have a team that is spacing, if you have a mobile, bouncy, <laughs> rugged power forward, and I think Houston, I could not, you know, when I think the, the ship first started to really go down when their stars started to fall was when they traded Clint Capella away. Mm-hmm. I think they thought we got our guy on our team that won't take threes and he does, he's not a Houston sort of guy. And I think, do you remember how he used to shut cat down? Yes. It fits. I think there's a place on even a floor spacing team for a guy. He doesn't have to spark it in the paint. Think Vanderbilt can't clear out if you need him out of there. I know he won't drag defenders along with him necessarily, but I I think he can stay mobile and keep people guessing and wondering where he's going to be. And so they're not necessarily watching the pick and roll or whatever else we got going. Yeah. I think there's a place for that type of player. And that was actually always my case. As you pointed out, I made this case for Aaron Gordon before the season began. I, (laughs) I would so much rather have, I know he cost more, but on so many levels, I would so much rather have Aaron Gordon on this team than PJ Tucker um, mm-hmm. But there you have a guy that is mobile, is rugged, better defender than people think would really, I think, fit this type of philosophy I'm talking about where you have floor spacing plus one guy that's going to get in there and mix it up and can stay mobile. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm all for Vanderbilt in there. If, if nothing else, let's see how it works. Let's see how that mm-hmm. template works. And then you know, maybe Vanderbilt is truly that, you know, there's sort of that, you know, the Lynn sanity sort of bump that a guy gets because nobody knows what to expect from him. He's not been scouted. Nobody opposing player knows their tendencies. They catch everyone off guard. Everybody's ignoring him. And so maybe he gets in there and comes back to earth with more heavy minutes or heavier minutes versus starters. Um, and, and then you look for somebody that's in that sort of mode, but has a little bit more experience and maybe a higher ceiling um, for, as a more permanent solution. Or maybe maybe he's truly ascendant and maybe he ends up being one of those guys that comes out of obscurity and becomes a, a contributing player. But I'm, I'm for it. Yeah, and I, I guess for me, Dan, I'm, I would say as it pertains to, say, the fouls, I think there are some players that's like if he gets in foul trouble, so what? So what? Well, I guess you know, unless you feel like you need him in crunch time situation, but but I, I I take your point. It's like it doesn't matter whether you're missing him for six minutes in the third quarter or six. You know, I, I think there's always that fear about you pick up that foul right, you know, right before the half and it's wasted. But it's like minutes are minutes, right? There is some. There's yeah, something to do that. I'd say like let him figure it out, get the value that you can, and. Like, do you really absolutely have him to close? I mean, maybe some games, but I don't think we know enough about him yet. So it's like, let's get him the largest body of minutes that he can get at his peak energy level that he has mm-hmm. and and give that a shot. So, Dan, any final commentary? Uh, well, wait, not, not final commentary. Well, yeah, any final commentary on that before we move to your uh, power rankings? No, no more. All right, Dan, give us your Timberwolves power rankings number five. So number five, I'm, I'm going with D'Lo, who has started to show uh, some of those, some of why we were happy when we got him. It's like, I don't, I don't know how it's like a quiet whatever, but it's, it ends up being like a quiet 25, five and four line or the sort of things that would have been causes for celebration. And Andrew Wiggins, do you see he got four rebounds and five assists? You know, like, I, I different position. I realize point guards are going to get more assists, but 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 wing players should get more rebounds. <laughs> but D'Lo is like he's putting in you know performance as well in the twenties. It, it, it's not. I think he's been showing more flashes on the defensive end than maybe we expected. And give me more of the rim attacking D'Lo. Like gone is sort of the floater 
the eight foot floater and there is I'm going to use my long arms to snake it around some guy and, and lay it off the glass. And I would like to see more of that because I think he's got the sort of somewhat, but not horribly limited athletically, but you think of like a Sam Cassell or even a Chris Paul, he's never going to be that type of player, but that craftiness that transcends age a little bit. Like mm. D'Lo is the type of player that, if he just develops that craftiness a little more, could remain really consistently effective well into his 30s, I believe. So I like to see him continue to broaden some what we see out of him on as an offensive palette and continue to, you know, maybe be a little more disruptive, even if he's never going to be an amazing plus defender to just be kind of disruptive, get in there, get some steals, clog things up a little bit. Um, D'Lo is my number five. Number four, Jared Vanderbilt, not going to spend any time on this because we've talked about him at length, what he brings to it. But the fact that he has come out of pretty much obscurity to become a fan favorite, not just a fan favorite, but like a fans demanding, demanding Jared Vanderbilt on the court. Um, And just love everything about his game. I love a thing that Jim Peterson, analyst for the Wolves, game in game analysts had said about you know he does not let himself get boxed out and i started watching this and even if he's like ends up falling out of bounds and that guy ends up on the actually naz ends up on the ground a lot too mm. but jared vanderbilt's on the ground like every other play and so sometimes he's not you know get but then maybe he's still back you know on the transition defense he's putting so much energy out it's uh it's fun to see it's fun fun guy to watch and fun guy to root for number three Josh Akogi. So talking about some of the maturity that maybe we're seeing with Cat, you know, through the summer and his experiences or whatever, but I think about Josh Akogi being a leader off the court and getting involved in a lot of social justice stuff off the court. And he sure seems to have come back as like the philosopher king sort of probably, I maybe I'm reading too much into this, but he's he just has a, a calm and assurance about him. good decision making i'm seeing him attack the basket and not like wildly but like under control he's playing his ass off i feel like if he was in any other nba well not any other but any nba city that is the talk of the town he he would be a household name for people that are casually into the nba for his defensive prowess i mean he is he is like really getting after it this year and it's and under control it's fun to see and he is also our player representative on the uh, national basketball players association as well so demonstrating some of those other leadership characteristics number two a guy that we absolutely should have been talking about and we haven't been and somehow he is getting ignored in conversation and i don't know why but malik beasley who is balling out he's like scoring 25 28 points a game continuing his torrid shooting from last spring like everything he talked about he's not he's not going to make first team all defense like he said but he is turning out to be a better defender than we thought was probably possible or that we would actually end up seeing from him he just cares he makes it real easy to root for him on the basketball court yeah and you know how you set a goal and you move in the direction of the goal but you don't always achieve it maybe that's what malik beasley's doing related to his defense you know i'm going to be first team all defense is you set that goal you put it out there and then you uh demonstrate progress in that direction well done malik we are Glad to have you on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Dan, number one on this week's power rankings. Actually, I will just one more thing in Beasley. Kind of favorite moment of mine in every game is you see everyone lining up for the jump ball at the beginning, beginning and somewhere off camera you hear, <laughs> as he's doing his pull up on the rim. I just think that's great. So my family, whoever's there watching the start of the game with me, will will sort of remark on that. So, all right, number one, the number one. Well, it's pretty obvious at this point. Um, but Cat, who has returned playing not one handed, essentially, mm-hmm. is 
continuing to be an all league offensive player and now has apparently augmented his game. <laughs> I feel so bad that for him that Rubio and Wancho are playing like ass right now because he the approach that he has to the game right now, he deserves to be supported by the full complement of guys that were brought in to do exactly that. But he is playing at a super high level and it's hard to have a complaint with anything. I, I, I guess to, to some extent, you know, Memphis scored 80 points in the paint in this last game. And as the center, he bears some responsibility, but it's hard to watch him on individual plays and see what he's doing that wrong. He's playing the drop defense scheme that they have enlisted him to do and it's just that he's not getting any help which may be a case for your Vanderbilt or a Kogi mm-hmm. or whatever at the four but anyway I'm giving Cat my number one and I always add a sixth man or thing to your power rankings and this week it is the possible suspension of Malik Beasley due to the summer's uh, things. There has not been any buzz related to this, but it's this thing that's hanging out there, or is it out? Is it, have they, has the league cleared that situation? I'm because trying to figure out why you're giving it number six. <laughs> I, I'm giving the possible suspension number six. As, but, but I, yeah, but it's neither As, a, a, neither a thing that we're looking forward to, nor is it a thing that is generating a lot of buzz right now. No, no, just well, explain your rationale. Your, your power rankings are about buzz. My sixth man is the thing that's falling outside of the buzz that people aren't considering or giving enough thought, consent, attention, or concern okay. to. Last time, we don't like the curse of Joey Two-Step, but he was the number yeah. six on the power rankings. I thought you just read the futility that emerged. From, no, thanks for clearing that up. I thought it was more like an honorable mention. It's good that I find that out. Yeah, it's an outside of the buzz. And uh, in some cases, it's an honorable mention. This person should be. In other cases, it's like there's nobody else worth honoring uh, <laughs> on the uh, sixth, sixth person of the Timberwolf power rankings. And you could so, have also gone with confidence issues. I, <laughs> <laughs> the only team that has like guys who literally go th- through the, yeah, well, time for another podcast, I suppose. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Well, that will do it for our fourth episode of Timberwolves tip to tap. Uh, so I, I, I'm changing my Twitter strategy. What is that a five? I've got five. I've got five minutes. Our fifth episode of Timberwolves Tip oh, to Tip. Okay. So yeah. flashing me the five. Sorry. <laughs> Feel free to just interrupt. But so I had this a strategy where I was going to start trying to do all my, because it was tough to maintain two Twitter identities. And I was yeah. going to start doing everything through my musician account, which is Dan Hilton with a Y music at Twitter. Um, but I, I think anyone who is trying to follow me to find out what's going on with music that sees me tweeting about the Timberwolves like 15 times a day, I'm like losing people in a hurry. <laughs> I got to stop that. <laughs> and so I'm going to bring the basketball takes back to Timberwolves tip to tap. It might not be incredibly regular because I have a music thing that I'm trying to keep going and also other things going on in my life, but do keep conversation going with us. It's the Twitter handle tip to tap with spelling out to T-O. Well, everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. If you can think of anyone who else, anyone else who might want to join us for the talk about world-class Twin Cities beer and the stay after class Minnesota Timberwolves, please pass along our podcast for Timberwolves tip to tap. I am Josh Dye. I am Dan Hilton and let's, prize beer mellow you out and mellow out your takes be reasonable be magnanimous and keep it fun everyone go wolves oh.